Discover over 100 episodes of Bartholomew Town on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Do you see Providence as an emerging city or a city in crisis? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it could be both, and it really depends on who you ask. Welcome in to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. On today's episode, I sit down with the Providence Journal's Madeline List. Madeline, the Providence City Hall beat reporter for The Projo, and we actually taped this episode a few weeks ago. So in the first segment, you'll hear that conversation, get to know Madeline's backstory and some of her key takeaways on Providence from just over a year on the job as the City Hall beat reporter. Then in the second portion of this podcast, you'll hear the conversation Madeline and I had by phone in the hours after the Providence fiscal year 2020 budget was passed by the City Council signed by Providence Mayor Jorge Alorza. So we'll also touch on the Johns Hopkins education report, obviously a national story. Nothing new, by the way, but uh, no doubt percolating at a new level of intensity here in these last weeks with that report. So we'll, you'll hear sort of two separate conversations that I had with Miss List in recent times. Hope you enjoy. Support for Bartholomew Town comes from High Hope, located at 38 Broadway, right there in downtown Newport, Rhode Island. Discover more at highhoperi.com. And you can support the pod by subscribing, rating, and reviewing wherever you're listening right now. All right, on to Madeline List. First, my conversation with her right here at the loft from just a few weeks ago. It's interesting. We were just kind of discussing on the way up. You started in May of last year, so it's now you've gotten your your, your full dose of Providence, but it's still somewhat exciting, I bet, to be out there. You know? Oh, yeah, it's great. I mean, I love Providence. This past year and about a month has gone by so quickly. There's always something to do, always something to write about, so I've really enjoyed it. What's the most exciting thing for you to cover, politically speaking? Is it the, I mean, the city's got the fiscal woes and education, all these problem areas, but what else, you know, what do you kind of enjoy digging into from an investigative perspective and just sort of a beat perspective? Yeah, gosh, there's so much. And, you know, everything is interesting. Everything's important. Um, I really enjoy doing the stories out in the communities, the stories that really affect people and tell kind of people's individual stories as well. Um, I just did a story on black maternal health and the massive disparities that exist there and interviewed some local women about their experiences at local hospitals. And that was a really important story for me. So I, I really enjoy doing those types of stories. Yeah, really connecting the community to the journal as well, the broad community, you know what I mean, when you dig into different aspects of the city that's really disconnected by neighborhood in lots of different ways. You know, if you drive from here to downtown, you're going to see a couple of different worlds, so to speak, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the communities in Providence are so diverse, you know, and I think it's just so important to be able to kind of capture the different characters that are here and kind of see how it ties back to City Hall. I really like to do that, you know, see how policy really affects people in their day-to-day lives and tie those things together. So. Do you feel like that's a, something that's a difficult path to trace sometimes, or does it seem like policies come out of City Hall and then end up impacting the communities, you know, kind of right out of the gate in a positive way? 
Well, it can, I feel like sometimes it can take a little while to see the impacts of certain things. So it's not always kind of directly apparent. You know, sometimes you're talking about the effects of policies that were passed a long time ago, but then there's also the effects of policies that don't exist yet. You know, a lot of people are talking about gun legislation and, you know, the city council just passed a couple resolutions regarding that. So, you know, I think it's kind of a mix. It's always looking forward, but also looking back. Providence Journal, it's the legacy newspaper here. It's the oldest daily newspaper in the country, I think. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now we've got the Boston Globe, though, making a move digitally into Rhode Island. We see the public's radio expanding, opening up a bureau in southeastern Mass. They're they're supposed to be opening up, according to their uh, their release, they're going to be opening up one in Newport and South County. What kind of challenge does that present to the journal? I mean, obviously, you're hyper-focused on Providence for the very most part, but, you know, does that change anything that you do right now? Um, well, I think the journal, we still have the most people covering Rhode Island. We're covering the whole state every single day. You know, we've been here for many years, as you just said, and we're just going to keep doing our jobs and doing the best that we can. Uh, personally, I think competition is always good. I think more press is always good. You know, seeing any any type of journalism, I think, can only be positive for people, for, for readers, for taxpayers, people who want to see good government. So I think it's great. Yeah, more journalism is not a bad thing, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see Providence as an emerging city or a city in crisis? Oh, gosh. Um, what a question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it could be both, and it, it really depends on who you ask. I think there are a lot of things always improving. It is kind of up and coming. It seems to be getting a lot of attention, you know, on the national stage. Uh, but then it still has these kind of systemic problems and these issues and a lot of segments of the population that are really struggling. So I, I think it, it can be both at the same time weird in that sense it's it's like how much investment can you know can you convince someone to make in something that's also simultaneously talked about as a problem but the reality is that you know you really could invest in providence infrastructurally educationally and probably create an amazing world-class city here you know in 20 years absolutely even in a recent interview i did with the mayor he kind of on you know two sides of the same coin said well the city could be facing bankruptcy in a few years but he also said oh it's a city on the rise it's one of it's the best mid-sized city in america so i think a lot of people see that juxtaposition fascinating stuff how did you get into journalism and end up at the providence journal yeah. Um, well, when I was younger, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Uh, yeah. Um, but something switched. I mean, my mom was a journalist. She teaches journalism. And my mom's fabulous. I love my mom. So I think that probably influenced me quite a bit. And as I was going into college, I just thought, this looks awesome. You know, you get to talk to people. You get to learn about all kinds of different topics. And, you know, you, you kind of don't really have to choose one thing with journalism because every day I'm learning about something new. So I studied it in school. Where did you go to school? Uh, University of Maryland. Cool. The Terps. And yes, that's right. And then after that, I went on to the Cape Cod Times, which was a great paper. I lived in Hyannis, um, covered a lot of interesting news on the Cape, and then from there, got a job here at the Journal. 
Wow, that's a that's a nice pathway. That's a gatehouse paper, the Cape Cod Times. Yes, that's a nice. <laughs> you 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 built yourself a nice little roadway to the journal there. That's really impressive. Yeah, no, it was a great step, and I I was sad to leave the Cape Cod Times, of course, because I really loved it there. But I was really happy to have this opportunity, and it's been great so far. Awesome. What do you think? Uh, you know, when we look at at journalism today, that it gets blurred some so often with entertainment with you know, commercial work of, of, a, of a, I guess, a branded content nature. How, is that a challenge for you at all, trying to, you know, weave the storyline without falling into those elements of, of uh, entertainment and branded content that other outlets in the area are using so often? For me, not so much. I don't think I've ever seen my personal work that way. Um, I just always try to go for the stories that I think are important, what the truth is, you know, talking to all sides, being as objective as possible. I kind of hold those values very dear, and I just think about them every day when I'm out on the job. Um, so at least in my personal work, those things never seem to really blend. And I hope not for readers of the journal either. You know, that's it's a great challenge. You know, you got to make money as well, so the, the advertising aspect's going to be there in different ways. But... Let's just shift to PVD Fest because this is a good way to look at this. The the shooting at PVD Fest, someone fired a, a gun into the air, I think five rounds, and you had indicated you were in the area and cut through a fence. Yeah, I was actually right by it when it happened. It was it was pretty scary. Let's talk about that kind of in the context of Providence as the reputation it has in Rhode Island as some people anyway. You know, I hear it on talk radio. You hear it in person. People calling in, well, you're going to get mugged if you go to the mall in the garage or something like that. And then you have something like the, the PVD Fest, which is a great event, and I was participating, full disclosure, but you know, then you have this, in, this one isolated incident. Do you feel like that, uh, let, let's talk about that incident and then kind of talk about the perspective of others on the outside of Providence and, and what they see Providence as? Yeah, and now I don't even have to talk about it from my own experience because yesterday I interviewed two other young women who were close by when it happened, interviewed them about how they felt. You know, one ended up hiding in a coat room in the Strand because she, you know, thought it was a mass shooting. Another one just ran out of the area and ran into the lobby of the Omni Hotel and kind of took shelter. And they were both saying how they love PVD Fest. It's their favorite event of the year. They always look forward to it. And both of them were really looking forward to going to Pride Fest this weekend and both said they don't think they'll go, at least not for the nighttime portion. And that was really, you know, sad to hear that people are kind of, it, it's just their kind of personal, you know, that that event just is kind of still resonating with them and still sticking with them. And um, so I, I think that is always sad to hear, but that is always, you know, the juxtaposition today, I think whenever you go anywhere in the country and there's large crowds, this kind of thing is always on people's minds. And it's sad when it discourages people from participating in these events that really on their core are really great, you know, fun, happy events. Yeah. And what can be done as far as, you know, the media's role in communicating the good things about Providence? I mean, you do a good job with that, you know, no question about it when they're there to, to talk about. It's not like you hide them you know it's not like this obfuscation campaign but how do you highlight Providence and to, to the rest of the state and, and make it clear that this is really the epicenter in many ways this is the epicenter of the state's future 
Yeah, absolutely. I think when I'm writing, I'm never trying to show something good or show something bad. I'm just trying to show what's there and what's true. And many times that's a positive thing. But if something bad happens, you know, I'm also going to write about it because it's it happened. So I think that's that's pretty much the baseline. And I think there are a lot of great things going on in Providence that are newsworthy that I've definitely covered and, and definitely try to give attention to as well. So I think it just depends on on what's happening, what people are seeing and what people are feeling. And that's what I try to convey. Do you enjoy going on Twitter and I know you have an Instagram account now. Is that something you're going to try to expand your presence on? Yeah, I think those are both really important platforms. And you always hear that Instagram is kind of on the rise. So I've been trying to do a little bit more of that, taking photos every time I'm covering something, snapping a photo of somebody I'm interviewing. I think it does draw people in and then maybe encourages them to read the story. Like, hey, this is a cool photo. Why don't I see what the story is behind that? So I'm definitely I'm going to try to increase my reach on those things. What's the morale like in the journal now with the cuts? Are people feeling good? Everyone's okay. I mean, it's always sad. You know, it's always just disappointing. But I think everyone just feels a desire to do the best work they can and, you know, do it for the readers, for the people in, of Rhode Island. I think we really have an allegiance to them. And, and that's what we try to do every single day. And there's no sign that any of us are going to stop doing that. So I think we just want to do our jobs as best we can, no matter what. You'd mentioned your mom was a journalist. Any sort of mentors inside the, the Fountain Street headquarters of the Providence Journal that you would identify? Yes, I'd like to shout out to Linda Borg. Uh, we sit next to each other and have collaborated on a couple projects, but she's been a great mentor for me. We're always talking throughout the day, bouncing ideas off each other, You know, talking about journalism, talking about what gets us passionate and, and what we like to write about. And she's been a great, great you know, source of information and fun and, and just, you know, ideas. And it's been awesome to get to work with her so closely. What about reporters outside of the journal? Anybody kind of out there that you'd say is either a mentor or someone you really look up to in the market? Oh, you know, there's so many. There's so many yeah, great journalists question. out there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's tough. Um, I'm trying to think. It is really hard to name, you know, just a couple because yeah. I, I really, there's so many, you know, great newspapers I still love to read. I love to read the New York Times. I still love to read the Cape Cod Times. Um, anytime a big event happens somewhere in the country, I really try to go to that local newspaper because a lot of times, you know, the big newspapers will come in if it's a large enough event and write about it. And they, of course, do a great job as well. But I love to read the local coverage because I think the people who are on the ground every day went, you know, good or bad, you know, boring or, or exciting. Those people really have an interesting perspective and the best sources. So I really do try to read local news whenever I can. Do you listen to radio at all, t watch television, podcasts? What else do you consume on a regular basis? I do really love podcasts. Um, all the big ones like This American Life, um, you know, the, the NPR podcasts I think are great. I think that is a medium that's really growing in popularity. A lot of my uh, my friends in my age group who aren't, you know, necessarily into journalism, who aren't really big readers of news, they all love podcasts. So I think that's something that we're going to see taking off even more. Um, and I, I think a lot of 
TV and video news is also growing. I saw the New York Times now has a weekly show, yes. which is really interesting to see. So, you know, I think people are, journalism and people are adapting, and it's going to be really interesting to see where it goes. You're a cat lover? Yes. Based on Instagram? <laughs> oh, yes. I've got my two cats. They're they're pretty great. Um, always make for great photos. <laughs> couple more questions. This is moving along rapid fire. Nice job. <laughs> yeah, um, what do you what do you say to a kid today who wants to get into journalism? You know, where should they start? What should they look to do? Yeah, that is a tough question because the future is so uncertain and it's really hard to predict. I mean, even when I started school, there were kind of those warnings out there that, oh, we don't really know where this is going. Um, but I, I would never want to discourage anyone. I would say go for it. Times are changing. Just be on your toes. You know, always be looking for the next thing. Really hone your digital skills, but also, you know, keep those core journalistic values that have always been there and learn those and practice those because that's something that I hope never goes away. And I don't think it ever will go away because that's what, you know, defines journalism as good journalism versus anything else out there. So I think people need to keep that in mind and, you know, learn those things, keep those things forever in whatever type of work they're doing, whatever type of medium they're working on. Last question. What's your favorite part about Rhode Island? Oh, oh, that's another really tough one. <laughs> um, I mean, I do love Providence. I live in Providence. I, I have to say I need to explore more of the state because I find there's so much to do in Providence that I don't often get out. <laughs> So uh, my goal this summer is going to be to explore more of the state, go to some of the good beaches, get down to Newport maybe. But I do have to say I love Providence. I do love living here. So All right, back here with you from my world headquarters in Elmwood, Providence, Rhode Island. Now I'm going to take you to the conversation I had with Miss List in the hours following the passage of the fiscal year 2020 Providence budget. Yeah, it was interesting that there did seem to be so much back and forth. You know, it seemed a little bit testy there at moments. Um, you know, the mayor and the city council president kind of throwing accusations at each other for being unprofessional and and things like that. But they did come together and, you know, both the council president and the finance committee chairman last night said, you know, that's just the process. That's the way this works. And, you know, we came together, we came to a resolution and pass this budget. So I think the probably the most interesting part about it is the homestead exemption. You know, right. they didn't end up getting to do the two-tiered homestead exemption that they'd originally wanted to do, which the mayor was so vehemently against. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that ends up affecting things in the city. Like we have, you know, people kind of on all sides, some people not really seeming to think it's a big deal, other people mostly kind of in the realty world thinking it's going to be a really negative thing for the city. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. What about the, you know, it's kind of a specific issue, but the salary of Perry's salary, that's been, no one really wants to admit who took, fell on the sword, if you will, for, uh, for Commissioner Perry, Public Safety Commissioner Perry. What about that type of issue? Does that show a little bit of pettiness, or is it just kind of how we're going to be seeing things handled in Providence for the next few years anyway? Yeah, that was an interesting issue, um, as well as the issue of um, reinstating funding for the fire chief that the, the right. city council had originally proposed taking out. And, you know, Council President Machos last night even said, I hope the city hires fire chief this year, just kind of, you know, reminding people of that. Um, 
I think with Commissioner Perry's salary, what the council leadership had said was that they were proposing, you know, to review all of the lead directors in the city, review all of their salaries. So they were kind of trying to make it not about him specifically, but just the fact that they thought, you know, that there were some lead directors in the city being paid too much. Um, And then it did seem unclear whether, you know, Commissioner Perry will actually see a pay decrease because things may be moved around in the public safety budget. We're still kind of unclear about that. Let's shift to education. And obviously, since we last spoke in in, uh, in here and also since I think the last time I saw saw you in, in public, this Johns Hopkins uh, report has been released that sort of indicates what we already knew, that the school system in Providence is in serious trouble. Of course, infrastructurally, policy-wise, just the general vibe. Um, what's your take on that, and what's sort of the inside baseball feeling right now as to how this will all shape out? Obviously, Mayor Alorza told Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe yesterday that he's open to some form of state takeover, but do you have any more insight into that? Yeah, um, that's just been really interesting to see the fallout. People are so upset and passionate about it. I've been kind of just going around talking to people in different parts of the community, and it's definitely something that's on everybody's minds. I also think it's been an interesting development to see which schools um, were listed or were investigated. It's still tough because we don't know which schools kind of correspond to which issues, Um, but at least we do know the 12 that the investigators went into. Um, And, you know, what I've been hearing from people in the community there's people on all sides. You know, some people don't really blame the mayor. They say, you know, this is a major issue with discipline with kids. Um, you know, they they don't really see it as something that he has that much control over. And then I've spoken to other people who said they want to see more leadership from him. They don't feel that he's been taking this as seriously as he should. And even a couple people who have criticized him for going on that trip to Hawaii that, um, mayor's conference that he went to kind of shortly after the report was released. So there's definitely people on all sides talking about it, reacting to it in different ways. Right. There were even some calls for resignation. I mean, these came from sort of an extreme faction that tends to oppose anything the mayor seems to do anyway, but that hasn't made its way into City Hall. That conversation isn't in any way, shape or form realistic. It's just sort of a, you know, an extreme talking point, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that is not something I've heard too much, you know, talked about. It's kind of, yeah, kind of the more extreme points for sure. Um, but it is definitely something that's on everybody's minds at all times, just because it is, you know, the report was so extreme. And I think it's something that people are going to be talking about for a long time. Now you can kind of take a deep breath, I guess, as a, as a City Hall beat reporter, that the budget is in place. What are the next key things that we should be looking for in Providence? I use the word things. It could be policy or an event. I know that Commissioner Infante Green has a few more of her uh, round, uh, I guess, the tour of the city, so to speak, uh, citywide tour um, addressing the schools. What else is going on in Providence this summer? Yeah, you know, it's it's really hard to say anything but the schools. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just because that is just such a huge issue. You know, the city council is about to go into recess in August. But even last night, you know, right after they passed the budget, um, 
the finance committee chairman, John Igliosi, stood up and immediately turned the conversation back to the schools and said, okay, now we've got to 100% focus on that and get them ready for when kids go back to school in the fall. So I think probably a lot of the reporting, uh, you know, a lot of what's going on is going to be around that. But hopefully I'll also be, you know, working on some maybe fun summer feature stories, <laughs> maybe yeah. a couple lighter, lighter things to kind of mix it up a little bit. But I, I do think the focus, you know, for us and also for a lot of the politicians is going to be on the schools still. Last question, Mayor Fung in Cranston recently announced that the Bud Long Pool would be closed to anyone who's not a Cranston resident or is or is the guest of an 18 or older Cranston resident. What does that do to Providence when you think about there's the you know pool closures here in the in the capital city? Just recreational opportunities in general are limited in Providence for kids. Is there any chatter in City Hall or on the ground as you make your way through the city about expanding recreational opportunities for kids here in in Providence and how that might affect the school question at large. Yeah, that is an interesting point. And it's something the mayor has talked a lot about. He, especially even while he was campaigning, talked a lot about the 80-20 split, the amount of time that students spend outside of school versus in school, and how he's tried to invest in that out-of-school time. so I, I do think it's something that he has said he's very committed to. Now, whether that's panned out, I think will be interesting to see. But I do know that even in this budget, the city council was um, cognizant of that. That's a wrap for this episode of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. But I'll be back on Tuesday with a brand new episode. Remember, over 100 episodes at BartholomewTown.com, RIPodcast.com, or your favorite app. Have a great weekend, everybody. Until next week, I'm Bill Bartholomew. We'll talk soon.